Anne. Pam. Hi. Hi. Uh, I am recording you, and I have your permission to do so, correct? You absolutely do. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. And what a well-oiled machine you are. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, so happy to have you um, on the podcast today. I do want so to... I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Uh, welcome. I have so much to talk about. Your your career is vast. Your resume is huge. Uh, so I, I want to talk just a little bit before I get you jumping in, uh, so that so that people know you, your amazing credits um, because they are. Uh, first of all, I I noted that you are you were born in Patterson, New Jersey, which is the birthplace of iconic uh, actor, comedian, just all around iconic human. Uh, Luke Costello. Luke Costello. <laughs> yeah. I, and also uh, William Carlos Williams. Oh, awesome. I had the privilege of, of interviewing uh, Luke Costello's daughter. Uh, no. Yeah. So she's, she's, uh, she's pretty amazing. But you're, I'm, I'm blown away by, <laughs> by your resume. It's, it, it goes on forever. Just trying to do research on you is, is huge. So I want to, I want to tell everyone just a little bit. Uh, I'm going to, Sum it up just real quickly here, and then we'll get into specifics. You are uh, an actor. Uh, you are in theater, film, TV, voice. You are a writer. You're a podcaster. And something that I love more than I can even tell you, you are, you're a dog listener. And that, <laughs> uh, that aspect of, of, uh, of your career touched me very much. And let me tell you that watching the clip, of you in Nightbreed, I, oh. I, you know what? I cried. I cried. Oh, so did I. Well, you saw me. You probably saw me do the exact same thing. Yes, I, I did. So, and and so, uh, you are a graduate of NYU. I did. I actually never graduated NYU. Um, I. I, I was part of that uh, that age where suddenly the tuition was going up and up and up, and I kind of went, you know what? I'm not actually, when you're an actor and when you're sort of a student of life, the degree wasn't going to be doing a whole lot for me anyway. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just sort of went, you know what? You can walk away from this and go back. I've never said I won't, but... Right, and your but, yeah. and your major was anthropology. I found that really, really interesting. Um, I actually double majored in anthropology and classics. Oh, okay. Yeah, I really, I'm a, I'm a very big believer in um, the more we understand the past, the the less disposed we are to repeat the errors of it. I so want to believe that. <laughs> oh boy, me too. <laughs> Oh, please let that be the case, especially now. Uh, you you really do have a very a, a very vast and very just very diverse uh, career. I want to talk a little bit about your uh, this one book in particular, and then I'd like you to talk more about because I know you have helped other people uh, as well. But your book, Best Friend for Life, oh. that that just sounds like a book that every dog owner should have immediately, if not sooner. You know, Pam, it, it, it was both both Best Friend for Life and the book that came before it, Love Me or Leash Me, were, um, it, it was such an interesting journey to it. I, when I first moved from, 
from Manhattan to Brooklyn back in 1994. Um, I became, I, I live right on Prospect Park. And I lived in a building, I still do, where dogs were not allowed at the time. And so I had cats, but I've always loved dogs. But living on the park, I, at the time especially, was encountering stray dogs everywhere who I would rescue and I would bring to hospitals, to shelters. And I started to become very active in my veterinary hospital, um, working with the strays. And um, I became one of the pioneers. Now, you, you know, 1994, this is very, very in the pre pre-internet, pre-Facebook, mm-hmm. pre-everything mm-hmm. age, mm-hmm. Um, we became, a group of us started to become very aware of the fact that, not unlike people, animals need two things to thrive. They need boundaries and they need routine. And I would walk into um, shelter situations and stray situations and I would see animals so deprived of both of those things that when a potential adopter would come in, they, they would be just overwhelmed by this rush of need and energy. And, and I started to work with people to help these animals be their guide, be there every day, give them boundaries, give them routine. And... In that way, when potential adopters would come in, they wouldn't see a desperate animal. They would see that animal's true nature. Mm -hmm. And the return rates plummeted. And and all of this became just sort of, I I learned what dogs wanted us to know. I found that really compelling, a a really compelling piece of that, that... You're you're writing from the point of view of the of the animal. I yeah. like that a lot. I actually I I had a publisher approach me, and this is how the, the book came to be. They had done a very successful book on dog tricks, and they wanted to know if I would do a sequel to their book of dog tricks. And I said, you know, I'm not all that into teaching people how to teach their dogs how to put matches out with their paws mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or to climb ladders. But I would love to do a book about tricks that dogs could teach us. Mm, Like that. And they just went, that's great. Yeah. And and it has been very successful. um, The the animal assessment program, which I helped sort of create in this, you know, just being there, you know, being a guardian, being a, being an ally, being an advocate for animals is, is, um, has been wonderful. You have dogs? Uh, well, we uh, had our beautiful dog for 11 years and we lost her, uh, in 2018, but it feels like it was yesterday. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's, uh, she was very special. Uh, that we are very much about rescue, about uh, being an advocate, being supportive of of those issues very much so. And and my book would say to you that, you know what, when you least expect it, they choose us much more than we choose them. You know, I I believe that because I 
I, I say to everyone, and because people will say they shouldn't, but they say, you know, either it's just a dog or get another dog or, no. you know, and it's, it's, no, it's right. That's, and, and I have, <laughs> I always say, I don't think my heart could take it right now, no. but I, I never say never. And so what you just said, is true. I think someday it's just mm-hmm. going to turn a corner mm-hmm. and there that animal's going to be, and you're yeah. just going to go, oh, that's it. Yeah, I I think that's so true. But let's let's talk a little bit more about another, or a little bit uh, about something else I found really you need to enlighten me on this. Um, you had the role of Bridget Tenenbaum, yes, uh, in Bioshock, Bioshock, uh, yeah, one and two, and uh, that the things that are written about that video game. Uh, people it's a video game uh that it's amazing the the accolades for that video game it's like yeah. the best video game ever invented yeah. uh it's more about it, it's not just it, it's about life choices yeah. uh in making decisions about which way to go should i go Completely. i found it incredibly uh, compelling talk about that if you would it was when it, when i first when i first heard about it I I literally went I have to be a part of this I have to do everything I can to be a part of this Bioshock was a game changer for the entire industry not only was it beautiful and it is beautiful it's a retro it's a retro futuristic yes uh, yes video game it 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 was it was a precursor it's a it was like a precursor to every dystopian everything because it's set in an underground world in a post-world war ii world It, it, it is my character was a survivor of uh the concentration camps was um a, a reluctant and regretful colleague of Mengele. I mean, the, the torment. It, there, there is so much complexity to this game, and it is a game where the rewards come from making the humane choices. That's what was compelling to me when I read uh, all Deeply about compelling to me too. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you saw that. I mean, it, it uh, you know, this character, you know, he was literally a child of the camps who grew up this genius who regretted everything she ever did and now is trying to fight to save what is left of humanity. Do you enjoy voice work? Uh, is that something that you like uh like to do a lot of or uh, how do you how do you how, how where does that fit in the scope of, of of your loves your passions i love doing voice work i mean I, I i love i mean if you hear my voice it's and it's funny i'm, I'm realizing as i'm talking to you right now oh my gosh people are going to go and listen to bioshock and listen to me as tenenbaum i sound nothing like that but there is such a, a beautiful intimacy to voice work that you really can't, you, you, yes, you get it in every medium, but there is something about voice work that really involves the listener in a much more intimate way. 
I think that's interesting. I never thought about it like that. I I always I I've been I've been taught by some of the best people in the world, you know, in my in my field, you know, Mike Nichols and Oliver Stone, oh, wow. and Stephen yeah. Botsko and Stephen Sondheim and Marvin Hamlish. They've all been so um, influential to me. And one of the things that I think I've come away with from all of them is that actors actors have a very, very specific relationship with their audience. Their audience is their scene partner. As much as all of their co-stars and everyone on the stage, the audience is a scene partner. And when it comes to voiceovers, that's, that's like basically getting on the phone with them. That's like pillow talk. Wow. That's... A great analogy. It really is. I, I will. I will forever now listen to audiobooks or anything else. <laughs> and your podcast, and, because and your think, podcast is very much like that as well. Oh, you know what? You're right. Because I've been told that that it's like, hey, I feel like I'm just sitting in your living room having a cup of coffee you. with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. But I never thought about it in the way of of what you do, because uh, in your, I know you're a podcaster as well. But mm-hmm. with your with your really uh, artistic you know, acting uh, where you are portraying another character. It's not reality. It's, it's you're portraying a character. So, yeah, that's, that's yeah. such an, an insightful thought about voice work. And, um, I, and, I, and I actually, I think that's one of the reasons that podcasts are becoming so incredibly successful and in demand because people are looking for that connection. You know, I think you may be onto something there. Once people have really understood what a podcast is, mm-hmm. there's, I don't know if you've done that to be the case, but it's like, what is a podcast? It's just like listening to the radio. It's not anything mysterious. It's just people <laughs> talking to you. It's just not, yeah. But uh, because people are isolated, they have isolated themselves somewhat with being on social media and and, yeah. and being busy and, and all the uh, all the different things, I want to I want to talk just a little bit about uh, Hanover House. That looked like a very scary thing to do. Oh, and you know what? <laughs> it it really was. But it, I know, it it gets rave reviews from like uh, oh, what is the site? The horror. Uh, there's a special site you go to. Uh, anyway, it, it gets rave reviews for being so yeah. worth the watch. It's a very, very modern gothic, and it's a, an independent film that, you know, I, I um, many years ago, I did a, a film by Clive Barker called Nightbreed. And it has become a sort of cult classic. Um, right, right. And there's an, an astonishing fan base. And it's a film that's really worth watching. Although if you watch it, be sure to watch the director's cut. Do not watch the original. Oh, why is was, that? Um, because one of the reasons it's a cult classic was because when it came out, everyone said, this is not the movie we expected. It was based on a Clive Barker uh book called Cabal, and he wrote and directed it himself, but the producers um, were not pleased with his vision and decided to make their own studio version of it. Mm, okay. And when it first opened in like 1990, it, it you know, it, it was got terrible reviews, and 
But everyone who knew Clive Barker and knew the story knew that there was more to it. And so um, there became a movement, which became, uh, I actually coined the phrase, it happened around the time of Occupy Wall Street. And, it, and, and I, I created this movement called Occupy Midian, which was um, the city where the, the film takes place. And um, based on pure social media and fan passion, um, the studio was petitioned to release the the rights and the direct and and the negatives. And um, since then, the director's cut has been released, oh. and it's it's astonishing. It's a very good movie. Um, but but basically, you know, when you do a movie like that, you end up having a bit of a fan base. Yeah. So, um, so I go to conventions, I sign autographs, I meet all sorts of fans. Now, is and there anything I, coming up anytime soon? Uh, uh, any convention coming up soon? Not just yet. Not just okay. yet. I haven't done this year yet. But okay. one of the things that happens from this is I also get scripts from writers. And Hanover House came from a Nightbreed fan. Huh. And he just said, he, he, he came through a, a, a mutual friend, a theater friend. He said he's a huge Nightbreed fan, and I've done films for him. This is um, Corey Norman, Bonfire Films up in Portland, Maine. And, um, and he said he wrote this film, and would you take a look at it? And I read it, and it was like Turn of the Screw. It, it, it's a perfect contemporary American Gothic. And they wanted me to do this sort of essential cameo. And I went, oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's just delicious. <laughs> Whoever gets to be the bad guy and the ghost and like, Exactly. Well, you have just done a little bit of everything, though. I mean, truly, you've done theater. You've done, uh, you had a recurring role on one of my favorite shows back in the day, Mad About You. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, how fun. Was it? I mean, was it fun? Is it, you know, can you dish the dirt? I mean, come on. Yeah, it was really, really fun. I can actually dish you a little bit of dirt. So, um, so let's see. How mad about you happened? I had auditioned for a pilot that Saint Prince, the actress um, who was in Guys and Dolls on Broadway, she was doing a pilot, and um, I auditioned, and you know nothing happened. And then a couple of months later, I got a call that um, the producers, who also produced Mad About You had really liked my audition and they were shooting an extended shoot of the pilot. They wanted to do some extra scenes and they were interested in putting me in, but, um, but they didn't know quite what they would have me play. So I met with them and I watched the pilot and I looked and I basically said, Oh, I could play a, a waitress in your coffee shop and I 
And I wrote myself a couple of monologues and I put myself on tape and they hired me for the pilot and the pilot didn't get picked up, but they loved what I did and they loved my monologues. And they said, well, why don't we put you on Mad About You? And when I first started on Mad About You, the very first thing I do is like this extended monologue about why I'm late to Jamie Buckman's place. <laughs> and, and it's basically a take on my audition for the Face Queens pilot. Oh, that is, that is fun. Oh, wow. Yeah. A so, you know, inside there. It's, it's oh, always wow. good to have some facility. Be ready to write yourself into anything. Oh, good <laughs> advice. Very good in life. Just write you know, always in. be ready to improvise. Don't wait you, for exactly. someone to tell you what to do. Just exactly. make it up as you go along. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about your what you're doing now, any projects or any writing that you're doing, because I know you do a, a lot of that. Bring us up to speed where you are right now. And I want to jump in just for a quick moment, and at this, as we're talking about writing, you need to help me. I want to give a shout-out right here to our mutual friend, Penny Davis. Um, and I have Penny begged Davis. her. Yeah, I have begged her to uh, to write a book. So Prada, <gasps> you, you could get her to do it. You oh could work with her to do it. Gosh. Yeah. Davis. Okay. Penny, yeah. <laughs> we are both challenging you. The gauntlet is thrown down. It's thrown down. <laughs> <laughs> because she's I not listening that. to just me. So but but bring us up to speed where you are and well, what's going on with you. You know, it's so funny. I actually I just got off the phone. I had an early morning rehearsal session. I, I'm uh, recording an audio drama this weekend about Eugene Debs. And, uh, you know, <laughs> you just do you know, radio drama and another drama, another oh, very nice intimate project. Nice. Uh, you know, basically, we work on, on projects where they come. One of my biggest dedications now is helping other writers and creatives get their projects. Oh, it's great. It's wonderful. It's, um, and I have been so, so fortunate um, as an author, as a playwright, as an actor to work with these people. And I've, I have really made myself available to, to ghostwrite, to, to do ghostwriting, to do copy editing, branding, in all of my free time, um, I and, and as a ghostwriter, there's very little that you can actually say. But uh, my writers have been published by Simon and Schuster. Their plays have been performed around the world. Um, very nice. It, you know what? It really is. And you know, I don't mean to even dare to sound vain or vainglorious, but I remember that phrase so much that the sign of a great leader or a true leader and teacher is someone who knows to train a successor. Truth. That is absolute truth. And that's um, not vain in any, in any way at all. And, and so I try very much to take all the gifts and training that was given me and pass it on to other people, and um, and that's that's a big part of my life right now. While creating this this 
podcast in the making, this Facebook page at the moment yeah. called... Tell, tell um, people how to find you on oh, all of those areas. Absolutely. Well, well, one of the things you we've all had uh, so many challenges in the political sphere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, last year, I, I, during the government shutdown, I just went into a black hole. And I thought to myself, okay, you can do one of two things. You either run for office or you find a way to use your voice to get information out there. And so I have since then been creating um, this place called Media Barista, uh-huh. which is, it is a, a at the moment, it's mostly active on Facebook, but it's also on Twitter and Instagram, and I call it your daily shot of news from under the radar. And basically, what I like to do is just put out important news that isn't necessarily getting past the headlines. Okay. Um, it can be political. It can be environmental. It can be historical. Um, you know, just just uh, yesterday and today, I I, I posted about um, something called a witch bottle, which is a it, which has been found at a Civil War site. You know, <laughs> from archaeology, wow. and, huh. and you know, and and also about how in exploring the polar ice caps, how viruses that have never been known are suddenly being detected. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's scary. I know, but, but these are all things that aren't necessarily making their way past the news. Right, into the mainstream. Yeah, Yeah. so right. Media Barista on Facebook. You can find okay. it on Facebook. at okay. uh, Facebook, Your Daily News Shot, or okay. you can find me at Media underscore Barista at media underscore barista on Twitter and Instagram. Okay. But Facebook is really where everything is uh, building right now. I'm working with Anchor Podcast now to start to finally get a serious daily shot of audio news. And okay. if, if people want to follow me on Facebook, the minute, Facebook and Twitter, the minute that starts to um, get launched, because the goal is, and you know, Pam, you know, podcasts are, are, are a full-time occupation. Oh, yes, definitely. And, um, and I think it's essential. I think that this is really the next wave in news. I, I could not agree more. I absolutely could not agree more. Yeah, uh, and, um, and so I'm looking to do every day, you know, you wake up and you get your daily shot, five minutes of here are three stories. Uh, that you, that you may miss, but but you should really know about. Um, yeah, I yeah. think that's brilliant. I, I, because number one, it's short and sweet, and yep. that's the attention span that people have. And we have gone long on this podcast oh, because I'm so sorry. you're so you're so. Uh, it, it could go on. I could do a series with you actually because you. Well, have, I would love to talk to you anytime. I yeah, it's great. Do. But but you but are I think, so diverse. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, But by keeping your news in little short, you know, very brief, here's what's going on. And first thing in the morning, you know, have your coffee, check out, you know, what Anne's putting out here. Daily shot. Yeah, daily (laughs) shot. I think that that's really smart. And so I wish you 
uh, well with that. And, and everyone follow her on her uh, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, wherever you are. And I cannot thank you enough for being here today. As I said, we could talk on and on and on. Well, we will uh, but, talk on and on and on another time. <laughs> yes, we will. So thanks again. And right, Bobby, everyone, go look her up in every possible way because you will love what you read about this fascinating lady. Thanks again, Anne. And thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.